0: So this is the end of this series, Uncommon. Um, Next week, we're going to begin a new series called For Tyler. And so I'm really excited about that, but I'm also really excited about today um, because I think um, Romans here in chapter 8 has some really powerful words to say to us this morning. So I want to ask if we begin with a a word of prayer. Bow with me. Father, today in this place. We pray and plead for your presence. Father, would your spirit fill us, fill these words, Father, and bring them to life within this church. Father, so that the world will know that you are God because of the lives that you are changing within this place. Father, start a revival. Father, move through your spirit to bring life to this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We don't think much about our breath because it is an involuntary action. We just breathe. But I find it ironic, my watch has an app that reminds me to breathe. And it will pop up during the day on several occasions and say, breathe, as if I forgot. And most of the time it's kind of funny because I will hit dismiss. Because I don't have time to stop and breathe. And in a normal day, we take about 26,000 breaths. About 20 breaths every minute. Doctors say that we should take somewhere between four and six breaths a minute. But because we live at such an incredibly fast pace, our breathing is at an incredibly rapid rate much more than it it should be. And so the whole purpose of my watch flashing and reminding me to breathe is so that I would stop and slow down my breath. And if you do these exercises, you actually end up taking about six breaths in a minute. And what is amazing as you do that, how everything in your body and mind Kind of begin to change. And what doctors are saying is there are incredible health benefits to just learning to breathe properly and correctly and not in our shallow, fast paced breathing. As we improve our breath, it is a natural painkiller. It increases the oxygen level and therefore the blood flow. It increases our energy level. It improves our posture. It reduces inflammation, it detoxifies the body, it stimulates the lymphatic system, I don't know what that means really, and it improves digestion, I do know what that means. There are incredible health benefits to breathing. But we live in a world that struggles to breathe. Things like allergy, asthma, COPD, cystic fibrosis, all seem to inhibit our breathing and our ability to take deep and full breaths. And doctors say that a lot of it is genetics, and some of it is just the environment that we live in or that we work in. And for others, it's diet and exercise, just simple, back to the basics. But as we learn to breathe properly, it helps the quality of our life. And it's kind of ironic because when your breath stops you stop. You can't exist without your breath. And think back to when you were a child, running around and playing and you fell. Do you ever have one of those moments where you fell and you land on your back and it seemed like the breath was knocked out of you? And you're struggling to just grasp and, (gasps) And when that breath finally does fill your, your body, there's this sense of relief. Because when you're struggling to find that breath, there is almost a sense of panic that takes over. And as we live in a world that struggles with breath, I think there is a a really important sense where we struggle with our breath spiritually, where we struggle to breathe in the words of God and to breathe in His Spirit and allow Him to fill our life and give us peace. And there are moments in your life that you will point back to and say, it was that moment that took my breath away. It was that moment when the phone rang and they said, they are no longer with us. It was that moment to breathe. And I don't want it to get lost that Paul's big idea here in this letter to Romans is not each individual believer that there is a bigger picture that he is talking to these churches that are struggling to get along, these churches that are struggling to find their breath, these churches that are struggling to breathe together alongside one another. And so while there is a very much individual aspect of the life of these churches, there's also this larger of how they get along and how they operate together. And I was thinking back to moments in my life where it seemed like it took my breath away. I remember waking up um, on a Tuesday morning, September 11th, 2001, and hearing that our country was under attack because we heard about the tragedy of one tower being hit, but then news came that a second tower had been hit and then the Pentagon, and that there was another plane somewhere in the sky. And it it was one of those moments where you start to wonder, like, well, how broad, how big could this thing be? What what about my parents who live in in Dallas, Texas? I was safe in Searchy, Arkansas. No one's gunning for that. But my parents in Dallas, Texas, could that be target? And it's one of those moments that just kind of takes you back a step. Or, or for for me, one of the big moments, um, one of the things I'm most proud of in my ministry time is back in 2005 when two churches in Cleburne, Texas, Central and West Hill or West Side, decided to merge and become West Hill. Because you hear all the time about churches breaking apart and separating, but our churches were were merging. We were gonna become one. And it was so incredible. And there was so much buildup and so much excitement. And we get there the very first day, and the new once everything is renovated, we get in, and there's two ladies that are arguing and fighting over the children's ministry resource room. Because that's not the way we did it. And it was one of those moments for me with all the buildup and the excitement of the reality that hit saying, Oh, yeah, we still have people here who don't sometimes get along. I also remember some phone calls. Getting a phone call that a girl who had been in my youth group in Cleveland, or I mean at Preston Crest, had been in a car wreck late at night, hit a telephone pole, and had died. I remember getting a phone call late at night that a, a student who was in my youth group in Cleburne had graduated and been in the Navy and he and his daughter, young daughter, were killed in a car wreck by a drunk driver. And just wake, waking up to like, what, what do you even do? I remember this last year getting a phone call um, that, that our friend Brody had cancer and thinking, How in the world do we function? How do we explain this to our children? I think everyone has some of those moments that we point back to where it seems that it took our breath away. As we come to to Romans 8, there is a a focus here. Beginning in chapter 8, verse 1, he says, Therefore, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. We talked last week how in Romans, sin and death become this tyrant king who is wreaking havoc and reigning over creation. And everything is submitting... And so he now comes and he says, there is no condemnation for those who live under the reign of this tyrant king because there is a new law, and it is the law of the spirit. The word spirit in the Greek language is the word pneuma. It means spirit, breath, or wind. The word in Hebrew is ruach. It means breath or wind or spirit, just as it does in the Greek. I, I find it fascinating that spirit and breath come from the same word because the Bible begins with both spirit and breath in Genesis 1 verse 2 it says now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters and so God speaks this world into existence through the power of his spirit And then, as man is created, going on to chapter 2, he says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and that man became a living being. And it's when that breath enters the life, when when that spirit enters man, when that breath enters man, that life is now formed, that life is, is made new. There's this new and fresh start. But sin and death come into the world, and sin and death are both accompanied by a curse. There's a curse that comes through sin and death. And and sin and death bring with it pain, because the result of the curse is pain. So going to chapter 3, it says, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. He says to the man, Cursed is the ground because of you, through painful toil, you will eat food from it all of the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles. What the thorns and thistles produces pain, right? For you, and you will eat the plants of the field, and by the sweat of your brow, you will eat the food until you return to the ground. And so with this curse brought on by sin and death is pain. There, there are the moments, those painful moments, that take your breath away. There are those painful moments that we point to and say in that moment, in that time, it was so difficult to function. It it seemed like life had had been taken from my body. But what we find here is, is this curse brings pain, that pain becomes a doorway to new life, that there's no way to get to the new unless the painful death of the old comes first. And so he goes on and he says in verse 3 For what the law was powerless to do, right, because of the weakened flesh, because of the tyrant king of sin and death, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. He sends his son who looks like sinful flesh but does not sin. And he takes on all that sin can give, the very worst sin could possibly do, and he does not return in in, in like kind. He does not return evil with evil. He takes it all upon himself to the point of death. He takes on all sin can give, and so he so he condemns sin in the flesh. Notice, God did not condemn Jesus; he condemns sin. It's almost as if God, through Jesus, corners sin. He takes it all upon himself. He pushes it into the corner, all upon himself, and dies for it. In order that the righteous requirement of the law be fully met. Who, Who met the righteous requirement of the law? It was Jesus. How did he meet it? By not responding as sin responds. He didn't submit to the tyrant king of sin and death. He, he submitted to the Spirit of God that was going to give life. Who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so this Spirit, this pneuma, shows up 21 times in 38 verses here in chapter 8. It becomes a big part And one of the things that you see in this chapter is flesh is equated or synonymous with sin and death. And the Spirit is synonymous with life. And without the Spirit living within us, there is no life. So skipping down to verse 9, he says this, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. So so remember back a few weeks, we talked about a new Adam. You have the old Adam, an old humanity, and you have a new Adam and a new humanity. You you have death and you have life. You have the realm of the law or the realm of the flesh. You have the realm of the spirit. So constantly throughout this book, he's trying to, to portray these two separate roads that you have the opportunity to choose You choose life or you choose death. It's your choice. We do it every single day. We do it in our relationships. We do it in our actions. We do it in the way that we interact in this world. You have a choice to choose to live in death or to choose to live in life. So he goes on. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ, the Spirit, will live and fill your life. Going on. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. So so we live and we live in sin and death under the reign of this tyrant king who has this umbrella over creation. But this new Adam, this new humanity, this new king has stepped in and he's not lived under the umbrella of that way. He has chosen a different way where he takes sin upon himself and he doesn't seek revenge. He says, Father, forgive them. And he offers this new life to move from the spirit of the flesh to the spirit of Christ. And that this spirit would fill your life because this spirit is a counselor. And this spirit is an advocate. And this spirit is a comforter. And this spirit wants to empower people to live life as Christ lived their life. And I I wonder as I read this, like, how much of my life is truly lived in step with the spirit? Where each and every day, God, I want your spirit to fill me. I want your spirit to empower me. God, I want to follow you just day by day. Because it seems like so much of my life is just running at a fast pace, breathing as fast as I can, running out of breath, trying to do all this on my own. And just saying, God, where are you in these moments? And I wonder if it's in those moments that we slow down. And we just simply say, God, I want your spirit to fill my heart. And I want you to guide this next step. Because, Father, I don't know. I know I can't do it on my own. I, I know if you leave it up to me, I'm going to go this direction time and time again. And I'm going to think I know what I'm doing. I think I got it right. But, God, it's going to lead to death time and time again. God, I want your spirit to fill me. And I want it to follow so that every step I take is filled with you. And so that I look more and more like Christ. And I wonder so many times, like the reason I don't look like Christ is because I'm not trying to walk in step with His Spirit. I'm trying to do it on my own. I'm trying to live in the flesh. And He says, no, there is this life and there is this power that comes from His Spirit living in you. And if His Spirit fills you, it will give you life. And it will give you hope. And it will change everything about your life and about your world. And I want it so bad. And I got to sit for about an hour this past Friday with Ron Masters. And he was talking about how the Spirit of God has been at work in this whole ordeal. And how he arrives on a scene where his wife's trapped in a car. And he just starts talking about all of these people that show up. And he said, I I don't, I don't understand how in this moment I'm able to see God at work in everything that's happening. And yet so much of my life I live on my own, trying to make everything work by myself. And there's this spirit of Christ that wants to empower and raise you to live. And there's this new Adam who comes into being. He's raised up out of the dust of the ground. He's raised out of the dust of the ground. goes on to say, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead Will Also give life to your mortal bodies. Think think about the power of, do, do we understand the power of that statement? The God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. The God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. God, I don't know what I'm going to do. It just doesn't, doesn't seem like everything's working out. And God, I, I don't know if I'm going to get a new job. I don't know if there's I'm going to... The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and lives in me. Why? Why? Do we insist on living in death and darkness when that Spirit is calling us to life and light? It goes on, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But by the Spirit... You put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Do you, you remember the pumpkin last week? All right? We're, we're ruthlessly rooting this sin out of our life with God's Spirit helping us to call it out. And, and there's still that remnant there to that tyrant king. That, that remnant, that belonging that we had. But the Spirit is giving us life and helping us to see, and we're called righteous not because we've got it all fixed, not because we've got it all cleaned out, but because He has called us righteous. And by His Spirit, He has filled our life and come alongside of us. The same power lives within you. But you must know this. Death always precedes resurrection. Resurrection. The result of sin and death is pain. The the result is this curse. Death always precedes resurrection. And with it come pain and hurt and these moments that seem to take our breath away. Several years ago, um, if you know much about me, I like to run. Um, I haven't been running a lot lately because of some injuries, but I'm hoping to start back soon. But in 2017, I ran uh, the Fresh 15, and it was my best time ever for the Fresh 15 as far as timing-wise, like trying to run a race. And if you know anything about this race, it's a nine-mile course, and the last basically mile and a half are two major, major hills. They're, they're really tough. Um, and it's the point of the race where you're just kind of wanting to quit and be done and walk and you come up to these two hills. And so I get to this point and this was the last, this was the last hill, um, about 500 yards from the finish line. And I had made it up and the the photographer picked the perfect time to catch the, the pain (laughs) because I, I was hurting like at this point of the race. And so some some of my friends um, at church got a hold of this and decided to give some captions to this. (laughs) If you can't read, it says still shorter than my sermons. (laughs) But but there was this moment of this race. Go back to the other one so the caption's not there. Um, (laughs) There was this moment in this race where it would have been like amazing. For someone to come up beside me, the middle of this last hill, and put their arm in my back, my their hand in my back, and just help kind of push. And, and it would have been really great if someone could have like somehow brought more breath into my lungs and, and made the oxygen increase and the blood flow increase and the lactic acid wasn't so, so bad. It would have been amazing to have someone right there alongside me pushing and helping. And I think right here is this this beautiful illustration of what the Spirit wants to do in our life. We're we're right here in the midst of the pain. We're right here in the midst of the hurt. We're we're in the midst of this struggle when it seems like we don't know how we're going to make it through. And there's this hand in your back and, and not this breath that replaces yours, but this breath that comes alongside of yours and expands your ability to breathe. It, it gives life because it's this Jesus who is raised from the dead and God breathes into him. And, and understand, here, here is the new Adam right here, right? He dies, he's in the ground, he, he's returned to the ground like the curse said. He, he's taken the full weight of the curse on himself, returns to the ground. And, and I think that Jesus at this point gives up the ability to raise himself from the dead. I think Jesus entering into death, taking sin upon himself, he gives up the ability to raise himself from the dead, completely relying on God's ability to raise him from the dead. And, And this is where that new creation is formed. Because just like in Genesis 2 when God breathes into his nostrils the breath of life, he comes to Jesus dead in the grave and he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. And he's raised into this new life. And I think God is still breathing new life into all of us. As this pneuma, this spirit, this breath, this wind blows through our life The the hope is that it would blow through our church, that, that it wouldn't just change us, that it would change us collectively. He goes on in verse 14 and he says this, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Remember? Remember Egypt? Remember Babylon, Assyria? We lived in fear. We lived as exiles, people who didn't belong. But this spirit who's going to fill you does not cause you to live in fear. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. How many of our breathing problems today are a result of fear? Those moments that take our breath away where the greatest thought is what happens next? Yes, they're gone. Yes, the marriage is over. Yes, the relationship is dead. Yes, the job has ended. But what's next? How many of our breathing problems are the result of fear? And the whole time, in the back of my head, there's this fear that consumes us and that controls us. And Paul says, I want to remind you, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. What else is there to fear? What what is there to be afraid of we cry, Habba, Father. I, th- I think you could describe me um, growing up as a latchkey kid, where my parents gave me a key to the house. I rode the bus home from basically upper elementary school through middle school. I rode the bus home. I let myself in the house, and I did my homework and I watched TV, and I just hung out until my parents came home. And I was kind of in charge. And so we had lots of conversations about don't let anyone in the house, stranger danger, you know, all those things that you talk about and you kind of ingrain into kids and, and junior high kids. Like, don't let anyone in the house. You never know what people are going to do. And I remember, like, at times, like, people coming to the door and knocking. And there was this moment, like, oh, I do. What do I do? And I'd look out the window and, like, I don't know them. And I would call my mom. I'd call my dad. Say, hey, there's someone at the door. Who is it? I don't know them. <laughs> don't answer the door. But what if they're out to get me? What are they wearing? Oh, they're driving a truck. What, what are they wearing, Gary? Um, all brown. Gary, it's the UPS man. No, it's not. Gary, you're 19 years old. Stop doing this. <laughs> but when my dad was there, man, like, all that, that fear, all that worry was gone. Right? When, when dad was there, like, I go open the door. Who, who is it? What do you need? How, how are you doing? My dad changed everything about the courage that I had in that moment. And he, he, he says here that your adoption the spirit you received brought you about your adopt brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry abba, father. He goes on to say the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And now if we are the children then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we also may share in his glory. We we like the end of that, right? Not so much the the first part. We we like to share in his glory. But he also says if you're co-heirs, that you share in his suffering. Why? Because you have to go through death to get to resurrection. It doesn't work if you don't. And here's the thing, so many of us want resurrection in our life. We want to see relationships mended and restored with our kids or with our spouse. We we want to see... Things turn in our life because it seems like every choice we make is in death. We want to see new life. We want to see resurrection. We want God to breathe into us the breath of life. The the problem is we don't want to die first. We, We don't want to enter into that place of humility and helplessness where Jesus, I think, enters into Where he enters into death and says, God, from from this point on, I am powerless to do anything. It is going to completely be up to you if I'm going to be raised. And what does God do? God steps in and he raises Jesus from the dead. And new life is breathed into his body. And this spirit that breathes life into him, he says, lives in you. Stop trying to do it all by yourself. Stop trying to think that you have to have it all figured out. Stop trying to think that you have to have all the answers and that you and your power have to live a perfect life because you don't. What you do have to do is learn to breathe again. Learning to breathe in the Word of God and the power and the Spirit of God so that every single step we take is with Him. God, I need your strength for today to take this step because so many of us are worried about the future and that fear seeps into our life of what tomorrow is going to bring. What are we going to do about tomorrow? And he says, no, no, worry about today. Walk today in step with the Spirit of God. And God, help me to love people the way you love people. And help me to forgive people the way you forgive. And help me today to treat and love my neighbor as myself. And help me to pour my whole body and soul and spirit into loving God and loving this world and loving this community. And God, anything in me that you see that you don't like, Father, help me to root it out. Father, get to the very core of who I am and the anger and the rage. the the selfishness, the greed, the gluttony. Father, whatever it is, Father, get it out of me. And Father, breathe your spirit into me to give life. Because what Paul's hope is, is that the spirit of God would fill each and every person in this place so that it would change this place. It was never about you to begin with. It was never about the individual believers in Rome. It was about the power of the church of Christ, the church of God, standing up with the breath of God, filling their lungs and giving them life that would breathe new life into this world. And let me just tell you, right now, more than ever, our world needs that breath. And we wait and we wait and we say, God, where where are you? When are you going to show up and fix things? When are you going to show up and make things right? And God looks back at us and says, that's why you're here. That's why I have filled your lungs with my breath so that you would go and breathe new life into this world. And we do it in some simple ways that we never think are that significant or that important. But it's when we sit down and we have a conversation with someone who is hurting and scared and fearful and in need, and we just listen to them and we say, God loves you right where you are. We we do it by giving a a drink of water to someone who is thirsty or something to eat by someone who is starving and in need. We we do it by helping a couple who's really struggling in their relationship and they don't know how they're going to make it and we say, God has something in you that he wants to bring to life and he wants to restore and he wants to heal and he wants to make, he wants to breathe new life into your relationship and maybe the, the vessel that God chooses to bring that new life into the world is you. Don't ever forget the power of your breath. Because your breath, combined with our breath, has the power to transform this world ever. He goes on to say that there is this creation that is groaning as in the pains of childhood. Because that was the result of the curse, right? It's pain comes into the world. There's a world in pain. There's a world that needs healing. There's a world that needs hope. There's a world that's longing to be made new. And you and I, collectively, are the vessel that God has chosen to bring His breath his life, into the world. My question for you this morning is are you truly seeking God's breath to fill your lungs? Or are you literally walking every step of the way saying, God, God, I want your power. I want the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead to raise me today. I want to begin again. Father, I want to love people the way that you love people. I want to to share your love with this world. Father, get all that's in me that's not right out of me. God, let your spirit fill and flood this world. Believe. I believe that one small shift has the power to change this world forever. Because the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead has raised you. And it is raising and bringing new life to this world. Father, today would your Spirit fill us. Father, would you help us to take every single step completely relying on you. Father, get all that is within us out of us that does not belong. And Father, fill us with your Spirit, the Spirit of the Counselor and the Comforter and the Advocate, the Spirit that comes in power, the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Father, may it empower us, not just as individuals, Father, but as a church, that we would be passionate and on fire with the love of Jesus that would change and transform this world forever. Father, we pray that your Spirit would come and fall on this place in a powerful, powerful way. Father, fill us and flood this land with your glory. Fathers, we follow Jesus with all that we have. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.